Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for October 22nd. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we visit the State Livestock Show in Little Rock, and we learn about the production and use of mass timber in Arkansas. We also talk about the farming life with Steve Morgan of Johnson County and growing organic with Sean Peebles of Augusta. First, Ken Moore visited the State Livestock Show underway at the fairgrounds in Little Rock. While COVID-19 has forced the cancellation of the annual State Fair Midway, the Livestock Show goes on, and young people from across the state are showing their animals while following health department protocols. Ken caught up with VOAG instructor Austin Evans and Julianne Campbell of Mount Judy to learn how the protocols are affecting the way young people show their animals and why going ahead with the livestock show is so important. I'm Ken Moore. This week, it's State Fair Livestock Show Week, or I'm not, I should have said State Livestock Show Week. We're not having a fair this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's, it's a lot different out here at the Arkansas State Fairgrounds this week. We have a lot of families, a lot of young people, and a lot of animals. We just don't have a carnival. <laughs> we don't have the normal fair activities out here this week. But thank goodness, we are having a livestock show. And this is the culmination of a lot of hard work for a lot of these young people, hundreds of young people that are out here this week at the Arkansas State Fairgrounds. And I'm with Austin Evans. He is the vocational ag instructor in Newton County for Mount Judy and Deer Schools. And I'm also with Marianne Campbell, who is here supporting him. And, uh, and we'll have a son who's involved in the livestock show here next year. And so, Austin, let's just talk with you. Uh, I appreciate your giving me a few minutes of your time. You've already, you've, we have the hog show going on right now. We're down here right by outside the hog barn. And if we stepped inside, you'd hear a lot of hogs <laughs> letting us know that they're here this year again. What's it like this year? The pandemic has just kind of changed everything from the way that young people kind of show their animals. But tell me kind of what your year has been like, you know, with the circumstances of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's definitely been an unorthodox year. Uh, back this spring, whenever uh, it all hit, is about the time to start purchasing animals. And uh, a lot of people was just hopeful and wishful that we were still going to be able to have the fair. And uh, several of the students that I had um, had faith and that there would be a fair and hope and uh, went ahead and purchased those animals. And uh, along with that, they could have just uh, purchased them and, you know, not really took took uh, show care of them, um, you know, manicuring them and keeping their uh, skin and uh, hair worked and doing good on that. But uh, all the kiddos, they did a really good job of staying hard work and, like I said, optimistic even throughout the summer if it was even going to be able to happen. So uh, kind of kudos to them and uh, not just my kids, but all the kids out there showing. So how many do you have? How many young people are you working with there in Newton County? We probably had... 10 to 15 at the county level and uh, when we uh, went to district fair and the Arkansas Youth Expo in Fayetteville and then this will be our last show of the season at the state fair in Little Rock and we probably have four or five uh, kids that are showing um, at the state level. And so like you say they kind of did it by faith right they just they didn't know what to expect when they purchased those animals and that's something they do every year uh, with hopes that uh, they'll be able to train and raise you know, a champion. So, uh, again, for the benefit of our listeners who really aren't as familiar, how much time is involved with, on the part of a young person to get to this point? Uh, it's every morning and night, and there's no days off. I mean, kind of like farming. there You don't have any sick days you can call in or uh, anything like that. If it's raining and any type of weather, they still got to get took care of, uh, along with, you know, feeding them twice a day. Uh, you know, there may be some instances where you want to feed an animal three to four times a day if it doesn't have a real good appetite and uh, try to get it to grow a little better. And uh, uh, you have to do walking and exercising, and uh, depending on if it's a hog, you got to brush them and uh, keep their skin in hair condition and uh, you know a lamb or a goat or a calf you know you're going to have to uh, work their hair and uh, wash them blow them and uh, definitely time consuming on a daily basis not just uh, a weekly or a monthly it's a twice a day more more than twice a day in some instances so it's a huge time commitment for the kids for sure and parents ag teachers uh, all the people that are in their corner that help them too and they have to forego a lot of extracurricular school activities that they that other kids would maybe be able to participate in so it is a sacrifice in that regard 
but they're motivated. I mean, you know, you, you're raised on a livestock farm, you're raising a show animal, and you understand the commitment that's got to be made. Yes, sir, uh, and I was fortunate enough, I was uh, fairly good at basketball and had the opportunity to go play two years of junior college at North Arkansas College, so I definitely had to balance my time between uh, sports and show and livestock, and uh, a lot of times at the state fair time, that's right at the kickoff of basketball season, so uh, I you know, may have missed a game or uh, showed up right on time for a game a few times, but uh, definitely have to b- balance that, but uh, definitely livestock's first whenever you're talking about state fair time, for sure. All right, so you've got uh, several young people here showing this week. Uh, Have you had to make any adjustments at all because of the restrictions or the protocols that people are following out here? Uh, Just kind of spacing and uh, wearing face masks and doing everything you can to uh, hopefully stop the spread and slow the spread down. Uh, Just kind of accommodating those guidelines that the State Fair put out the best as possible. All right, and what are your hopes for your young people? Uh, You think you've got some champions in there? Uh, we did have one individual that uh, ended up winning Division One of the Market Lamb Show and uh, okay. uh, have a few others still left to show, and hopefully they'll get a chance to, to do good. But uh, more than anything, just uh, work hard and have a good time and learn from the opportunities that they are getting from the showing experience. And that's what it is. It's an experience. You learn from this experience, don't you? Yes, sir, for sure. No question. Well, uh, let's talk with you, Julie. Uh and I think I said your name wrong at the very beginning. <laughs> and so she's going to forgive me. It's Julianne Campbell. And, uh, and, and, and tell me about uh, your experience here. How are you supporting Austin and the rest of the team here from Newton County? Well, I'm just doing whatever, you know, make sandwiches, whatever they need me to, and run people, kids around and just, just here for support. And also, I have my 8-year-old with me who gets the show next year, so... Um, I want him to learn the ropes and wanting him to see what it takes to to have a champion and and the work that goes into it. Well, you had a hog farm, and so you're not unfamiliar with raising livestock and and hogs. Uh, but you know, and, and I'm sure you've been involved with showing animals yeah. through the years. So he's been raised, even though he's not quite old enough yet. So you think he's uh, he's ready to get in the ring next year? Yeah, I think he's ready. It'll be his first year at the State Fair, so that's something super exciting. And, um, you know, hopefully this will be a build-up for him, and, and we'll just work extra hard next year. We'll be down here and talk to you again, maybe. Yeah, well, no doubt about that. We hope to be here next year for sure. And uh, it's always exciting when you get that belt buckle or you win that banner and uh, you're judged. I mean, this is so competitive. Right. I was just talking to Austin about, you know, the competition in this hog show there are hundreds of hogs in this barn in here, and uh, and only a few of them are going to get those ribbons and those banners, right? right. But uh, you know kind of how to make that purchase, and I think, you know, I've learned by talking to other families, it's all about knowing exactly what to look for. And you and your husband know what to look for to get him a potential champion when you go make that purchase? We're hoping so, and we, we depend on Austin to, to help us out, our ag teacher. He, he's been in the show world a long time. Our livestock um, experience has mainly been in the market and not in showing, so so we're leaning pretty heavy on him. <laughs> well, it helps to have a mentor, yes. and it helps to have know someone. I know a lot of these other families, their dads are VOAG instructors, or they're veterinarians, or they've been doing this for a long time, and you start as young as you can, and you work your way up. And, uh, and, and I, I'm amazed at how some young people who are even like just six and seven years of age are showing steers right. and goats right. out here at the state fair. Yeah, yes, that that that's amazing to me. Um, I think there's some Farm Bureau members up there that have their kids, and they're five and six that they have them out there, and they do a grand job, and they're winning, and it's inspirational. Julie, tell me again, just kind of wrapping this up. Uh, you're out here. A lot of these families are here all week long. You just kind of live at the fairgrounds because you show many families show multiple animals. Uh, in different shows, but uh, the benefit of being here and the value of this for uh, young people. Yeah, we're trying to teach our kids to be good adults. Um, It takes dedication, it takes discipline um, to have a champion, and we want them to carry that through throughout their life, and that's why we're spending the money and spending the, like, sweating out here with them is because we want that for them. And they develop a work ethic, too. I mean, there's it's character building, isn't it, as much as anything else. I mean, 
we talked about the sacrifice they have to make, but uh, they do develop a lot of character and a strong work ethic when you work with livestock like this. Yes, yes, and that's what we're wanting for them, to build that character and um, for that to follow them throughout their life. That's, I think this year has been uh, a true testimony to what it's all about, in my opinion. Uh, with COVID, there's been a disruption in the meat supply, and I think it's a unique opportunity for uh, those kids to learn where their food comes, what it takes to get a, a animal from weaning age to, to the size and um, that needs to be to be able to harvest it. And some of the individuals do sell them for market, and some of those actually do put meat in the freezer. So I think it's a, a great opportunity, not just uh, on a regular year, but this one especially, it um, capitalizes on that for sure. I think it's uh, all an investment from uh, as far as the parents and ag teachers, the amount of time and money. Uh, it's ultimately an investment for the future and uh, shaping and molding the you know, strong-willed uh, person that is responsible and is going to show up on time and uh, do all those things right to prepare them for college or whatever. Uh, you know, If they're going to go out in the workforce after school, uh, uh, just prepare them for that later on in life. Well, thank you both for visiting with us this afternoon just a little bit and it's exciting to see you here at the State Livestock Show, and best of luck as we go through the rest of the week, okay? Good to see you both again. This is Austin Evans, the vocational ag instructor in uh, Newton County at Mount Judy and Deer Schools, and Julianne Campbell from Newton County from Mount Judy as well here visiting with us today on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Next, Greg Patterson speaks to Johnson County farmer Steve Morgan about his life in farming. Morgan learned from and built on the efforts of his father and grandfather. Now he and his son Mark continue their family farming tradition, raising cattle and turkeys and growing peaches. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, our guest is Steve Morgan. He raises turkeys and has a cow-calf operation that he runs with his son, Mark, over in Johnson County outside of Clarksville. And Steve, good morning. Thank you for good morning. coming on board to Arkansas AgCast. Well, thank you for uh, for having me and uh, for uh, caring about ag- agriculture. Well, first question, uh, how long have you been farming and, and did you come from a farming background? Uh, yes, I came from a farming background. My, I grew up on a farm. My, my dad had uh, had peaches and cattle in, in the uh, mid mid-1960s, um, started uh, growing uh, turkeys. So uh, I grew up in that. I uh, graduated high school in back in 1973, went to the University of Arkansas, and uh, majored in poultry science. Uh, graduated in uh, 1977 and bought the turkey part of my dad's farm at that point. Uh, and um, he and I were together 50-50 on cattle, and he had a peach orchard as well, uh, and I had the turkeys. Then, and we operated like that uh, for, for several years. And, and for folks out there who may not know, Johnson County is well known for the wonderful peaches that are grown there. Uh, tell us a little bit about about your present farm and, and what you're doing. Uh, currently, we're, we've still got basically the same model. Uh, my son Mark uh, has graduated uh, University of Arkansas. He uh, he went a little further than I did. He he obtained a master's degree, uh, and still after graduation with that, came back to the farm. And he and I are in a similar position that my dad and I were in, in that. Uh, we're together with the peaches, uh, we share the cattle, and then uh, he helps me with the turkeys. So we're still uh, basically doing the same thing. There's been a progression, of course, in each one of those areas. Uh, with the turkey industry, I started out growing birds out on the range, outside. Uh, only could grow them when there was not freezing temperatures. And uh, along about 1980, I converted that to, uh, uh, to the standard these days, which is... Uh, Growing the birds year-round inside, so uh, and, we're still still doing that. Tell us about uh, the maturation of the turkey industry, because you obviously started with, you know, a lot of people have this idyllic uh, type of view of, you know, you go out with a bucket of feed and toss it to the birds, whether it's chickens or turkeys. But obviously, poultry growing has has uh, changed dramatically. So so walk us through how 
how that's changed over the years for you. It really has. Like I say, when I first started, uh, yeah, we were uh, growing the birds, brooding them inside a house for uh, about six to six to eight weeks, and then we would put them outside and uh, feed them with a, a tractor and a grand vader uh, and, uh, you know, develop a water system outside for them. Um, and then for uh, economics of scale, the, uh, uh, the plants were actually having to shut down during the winter. And uh, so to keep their operational costs, uh, fixed costs, a little bit less, they, uh, they came up with a method that uh, we could grow year round. And um, so we, uh, you know, built confinement houses uh, to keep the birds where we could uh, manage their temperature much, much better. And then that uh, has just progressed, uh, you know, yearly there's, there's changes. I made the last major update, I guess it was in 2014 uh, when I went to uh, computers for the, uh, uh, for the brooder houses. So, um, so we really try to keep the birds at a very comfortable, optimal temperature, uh, air quality, and uh, just a, a good, uh, environment for them to to live in. So, and and these these houses over time have gotten bigger and bigger as well. And the 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 birds don't lack for anything. They've got water. They've got food. They've got the right temperature. They're protected from the environment. So so you may have started out as as raising birds where you know now they call it free ranging because they were outside walking around and. Right. eating bugs and, and different things like that. But now it's really turned into a year-round effort. How many rotations of birds do you normally go through during the course of the year? We go through about uh, three and a half is, is typical. Um, I, I, I raise a, uh, oh, the typical bird that the housewife would go to. Or, well, I'm being mm-hmm. sexist there. I'm sorry about that. Uh, that the consumer would uh, would go in and purchase uh, you know, um, when when my birds go to market, their live weight is around 15 pounds. Uh, so that's going to dress uh, in that 12-pound uh, uh, range, up uh, plus or minus. And that's typically the size that uh, a family is going to have for uh, for a meal. And uh, so that's the uh, that's the typical bird that we raise right now. Um, I have the capacity here on the farm to to grow about 85,000 birds per flock. Um, so, uh, so I'm doing 85,000 three and a half times a year. Wow, that's a lot of birds. Um, what are some of the biggest uh, changes that you've seen um, in farming, whether it's, whether it's cattle, whether it's, uh, you know, peaches, whether it's, I mean, whatever. I mean, you've been involved in farming your whole life, and what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over time? Well, I mean, obviously the uh, the input costs um, don't slow down; they they just continue to rise. Whether it's right. uh, whether it's electricity, uh, whether it's labor, um, there's just uh, you know taxes. Uh, there's just uh, an onslaught of, of input costs that continue to rise for us. And uh, you have to know um, when you become a contract grower, as far as the turkey side goes, that uh, you sign a contract with a with a, uh, a very large company. Mm-hmm. And I grow for Butterball, and they've been, uh, uh, you know, I will tell you right now, go buy a turkey, eat meat, uh, and uh, preferably, for my sake, buy a Butterball turkey. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, I, I want to support the company, but when you sign that contract, uh, the company knows what they're going to pay for their um, for the reduction costs on that bird. Right. And uh, I did, uh, you know, a, a, a two hundred fifty thousand dollar update in uh, in two thousand fourteen, and uh, I have not received a change in pay uh, in the price that I'm paid per pound for my birds uh, since that time. And, wow. uh, you know, I signed the bottom line. But those costs that I just talked about in these last six years, uh, the, the you know, I, I hire some labor to help me. Uh, I have a great crew. Uh, 
but uh, those costs, you know, minimum wage has gone up, our property taxes have gone up, electricity costs have gone up, water costs right. have gone up. I, you know, everything you can think of has gone up, the cost of production. And, um, you know, that that um, that integrator kind of holds you to that contract that you signed way back there. And, you know, I continue to hope that in the past they have made uh, uh, reasonable um changes in that and amendments uh to allow you to keep uh keep pace uh, it's just been a long time sure sure so so obviously the bottom line gets thinner and thinner as time goes on because of the increase of the input cost um what would you what what advice would you give to someone who is starting out and wanting to go into agriculture or or farming um uh, what what's your I mean you've been doing this your whole life what's what's your advice for that? Well, I think experience is is uh, the key, um, and uh, you know it's kind of the chicken or the egg. Uh, you know how do you get experience? Do you jump in or what? But if there's a way that uh, that someone can work with a with a farmer in the area that he's interested in for a while, um, you know uh, uh, just uh, do an apprenticeship of some sort. Uh, get in there and see what it's like, and know that it, it's uh, almost any section of agriculture. It's seven days a week. You know, yeah, you can, exactly. you know, you, you can, you can alter that at times, and uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, you, you can change your schedule uh, somewhat, but there's times that you can't, and and you're there, and you're going to be there uh, if you're going to be successful. So uh, people kind of need to understand that and uh, understand that it's not all just, um, uh, you know, pie in the sky fluff. Uh, we're going to be out here outside um, having a great day. Uh, there's a lot of that, but uh, you got to know that you got to be committed. And uh, and then, you know, obviously you need a business side. You need, uh, need to know how to manage your finances, how to, uh, stay on top of uh, of costs and and uh, what your projections are going to be for the next year. Uh, you know, all that takes time. So it's it's almost like not only do you need um, apprenticeship experience, um, you also probably need some sort of a, a agriculture science deg- degree of some sort. And it would be nice too if you were also had an economy degree as well. It's it's. It's everything. You're there every day, and there's work to do every day. Uh, yeah, and everybody's got a different method. Everybody's, uh, you know, there's there's no real formula. Uh, I may do things one way and be successful. Somebody else does them a quite different way, and they're successful. So, uh, you know, you got to know that uh, that and be adaptable and flexible enough. That, that you can uh, adapt and change and and uh, be able to, to survive. And, and you've got a unique um, mix of things that you're doing with your son, Mark. You've got a cow-calf operation. You've got peaches. You've got turkeys. Obviously, you guys are out, you know, cutting hay when hay is ready. And, and it's almost like a diverse portfolio financial portfolio of a variety of different stocks or investments um it's important on the farm too not to just be tied into one thing i felt like that's been important for us uh, of course my dad kind of established that uh dad uh, uh my and my my dad's dad was a, was a farmer he was a peach and and cattle farmer as well and so uh my dad was a uh child of the, of the depression and then world war two and then uh came back from that and started the farm and uh so uh he and he took advantage of the gi bill uh that's where he got his further education was just through um through classes in, for uh people that wanted to be in agriculture and uh diversity farm diversity was a big part of that and uh, so we're continuing that today it, it's proved out to be uh worthwhile now you've been involved also in in Farm Bureau at the local level, at the county level. How important is it when you're in farming to to be involved in your local community? 
Well, it's uh, it's just like uh, uh, everything. If you don't stand up for uh, the issues that you have and what you believe is the, the right way to uh, manage those issues, and if you don't uh, have a voice for that, then um, that's not going to be heard. Uh, nobody's going to hear that you have an issue. Uh, I found Farm Bureau to be a, an effective uh, tool uh, in, a, in the toolbox um, so that you can, uh, it's a grassroots organization. Uh, if, you know, concerns can be turned in uh, through the resolutions process and um, then uh, go on and be adopted into a, a state policy so that you have someone, um, you know, maybe it's not quite seven days a week, but it's pretty close to it that uh, you guys and, and those that care about us in Little Rock um, that work for uh, for legislative change, um, they're there speaking to those folks, those legislators, uh, when I'm not able to be there. But they're, they're my voice then, and I'm the one that started that voice back here on the phone. Well, and, and as you say, it is a grassroots approach from the farm all the way to Washington, D.C. So um, it, it's a great effort to get the word out in regards to what farmers and ranchers need. How about um, you guys growing peaches uh, have, I, I think you all have worked with the university system before and talked with them and they've got a, you know, a fruit research station not too far from where y'all are. How important is it to have, you know, a university system and extension county agent system to help back you up, regardless of what kind of farming you're doing? It's just, uh, for us, it has been invaluable. Um, you know, we do have the pick your own, uh, peach picking paradise here in Clarksville mm -hmm. and, uh, in, the, on the cattle side, uh, their their expertise uh, is something that I really don't know how far we could have made it uh, without it. Uh, all the way back early on, I I started out in in, in 4-H uh, with uh, you know a, a extension agents uh, taking me around to cattle judging events um, when I was uh, you know in grade school. And uh, I've been associated with the extension service ever since. And we've been blessed here in Johnson County to have some wonderful agents. Uh, these people have been are highly qualified. Uh, they, uh, they have the educational experience and know how to, uh, how to research a problem. And uh, we use them extensively. We pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got uh, – you know, this showing up on a leaf, uh, what what could be causing that? I've got some ideas, but what do you think? Uh, right. Bounce it off of them. They, they come back with uh, uh, several different options. They'll come out and look. They'll take pictures. They'll, uh, they'll really work for you and, and try to correct whatever it is uh, that's the issue, whether it's uh, peaches, cattle, or whatever, and, and they'll come. We, we've had the experience that our agents – have worked with us on farm and uh, and through the system as well. So it, it's been a uh, the for us uh, the extension service is, and the university uh, research station there in, up, up here at uh, Red Lake here in Johnson County. Um, you know they're here growing uh, fruit in our climate. So if they have an issue in our climate, um, that is really important for us to know what grows the best here instead of, you know, uh, getting some, some tree out of, uh, out of California that has a totally different climate, a very, very dry climate. And, and right. uh, it just doesn't work here. Uh, it looks great out there. Everything looks good, but yet you put it in, in Arkansas and, and it's not going to work. So uh, having that uh, station up there is, is a real benefit for us here in the, in the Valley and in Arkansas. Now, you've been in agriculture all your life. you got a father who was in agriculture. you got a, a grandfather who was in agriculture. You've got a son who's now in agriculture. For you, though, personally, over all that time, what is the thing you like best about farming? What is most satisfying to you? 
Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I'll go to the debate style here and, and stall a little bit while I'm thinking on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Patterson, for that. You're welcome, I, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, the ability to provide uh, food uh, for the the nation and the world. Um and uh, kind of sitting back and, and getting an overall view of that, that um, I'm a part of something that uh, that on the, the grand scale of things is a very uh, uh, minority uh, part of the people that, that have the opportunity to do what I do. Uh, there's not a lot of us, and we, uh, but yet we do a, a very very big job and provide a lot a lot a lot of protein and uh uh that's kind of kind of the the bottom line of what life's about if you can help if you can help somebody and uh do your part for humanity uh then uh it, it becomes satisfying well i think you passed your debate question there i couldn't have said it better <laughs> myself we've been talking with steve morgan he's a uh turkey uh, farmer, and he's got cow, cows, uh, cow-calf operation as well as peaches in Johnson County. And Steve, thank you so much for being on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. And and you and your family uh, do a wonderful job. And if, if anybody needs to go when it's time for peaches again next July, you got to go to Peach Picking Paradise. It's quite an experience. And and I'm hoping this Thanksgiving there's a, a big old turkey on the table as well as a peach pie for dessert thank you for being with us absolutely we appreciate you have a great day now keith sutton talks to sean peebles of peebles organic farms in augusta he shares information about the specialty crops he grows on his farmland in woodruff prairie and white counties like sweet potatoes black-eyed peas and edamame welcome to agcast this is keith sutton with arkansas farm bureau Today, my guest is Sean Peebles with Peebles Organics in Augusta, Arkansas. Welcome, Sean. How are you? I am doing good this morning. Uh, I hope you are. I know you've been right in the middle of harvest for several weeks right now. Why don't we start by, could you describe your farm for the listeners out there? Tell them about some of the crops you raise and how many acres and so forth? Sure. Uh, Well, we're all organic. Uh, We raise about 2,000 acres of different organic crops, uh, sweet potatoes, edamame, black-eyed peas this year, um, and soybeans. We basically focus on vegetable crops, and then the rest of the acres we fill in with organic beans or organic corn. Well, tell people who might not know what what is the definition of organic. It's it's a little bit difficult uh, compared to regular farming. Being an organic farmer, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 there's a few more challenges. It's it's a more labor intensive type of operation. So we don't have any herbicides. So we pull weeds on every acre of the farm. Um, we don't have a lot of the genetics and a lot in these uh, seeds that, that everybody else does. So I think we probably see some yield drag on soybeans. You know, I'm doing good if I'm hitting 35 to 40 bushel. I just don't think that we have the genetics in these older varieties to, to get to those yields. But we make up for it on price. Uh, normally, organic price is about double what it is conventionally. And uh, what counties are some of your acreage in? All in Woodruff County, or do you include some other counties as well? No, we have Woodruff County, uh, Prairie County, and White County. Okay, and you've got a big facility there in Augusta where you process, I know, sweet potatoes uh, for sure. Are there other things you process there as well? No, it's all for sweet potatoes. Uh, We uh, store about six to seven and a half million pounds, depending on the year. Wow. Uh, so we, we'll process those potatoes basically until the next crop comes off. Wow, that, that's amazing. Uh, sweet potatoes has become uh, 
a kind of a big deal here in Arkansas, right? I mean, and and you're organic too. You're probably the only organic sweet potato farmer here. I am the only organic. Sweet potatoes seems to be a growing market, and certainly in Arkansas. Um, we're seeing more and more acres put into production every year. Uh, don't know what the total acres is. It's still small for Arkansas, but I think uh, we're running probably around six to 7,000 acres in Arkansas, and that's scattered out through the Delta. And uh, I think you'll continue to see that grow. And how about some of the other organic crops? Uh, this year, uh, you're raising black-eyed peas. That's something different, right? It is, uh, and it's new for us, too. Uh, you know, we, we've been in it a long time, and we have companies call us wanting different crops every year, and we, we try to pick out crops that we think are conducive to the Arkansas climate. And black-eyed peas, we felt like we could do, and... Uh, so we we did a test run. We did about 30, 40 acres of them, and they did okay. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of bad weather this year. We've had these hurricanes. That hurt our quality a little bit, but I think it's a doable crop, and I think it's it's very doable here in Arkansas. Now, another crop that you raise, and I've been fortunate to come over and watch y'all harvesting this crop, is edamame. How about you uh, explain to folks what edamame is for those who may not know well edamame is it's a version of a soybean the characteristics are a little different in the pod it is approximately double in size of what a soybean is um we've been doing it for about 10 years uh arkansas is fortunate that we have the only solely edamame processing plant here in the state that uh, governor bb helped to bring in here and that's in mulberry arkansas and we've been in business with them partnered with them since the conception of the project and and 10 years ago we had uh, dr chin that was uh, head of the soybean beating program at the University of Arkansas, and he developed some varieties. One of them is Curtsy, uh, which is named after a professor there at the university. And uh, they, you know, those are the types of varieties we're using. Edamame is harvested fresh. That is the significant difference versus a soybean. Uh, it's a very slow process, taking four rows at a time. You can't harvest any more than the plant can process in 24 hours. It goes bad in about... Well, it'll go bad in three hours. You've got to get it down to about 50 degrees. So that isolates Arkansas to the radius that this crop can be grown because of where the processing plant is. Right. And uh, there's a pretty big market nowadays for edamame, right? Well, when they first showed it to me, I didn't know what they were talking about. I never even heard of it. Now, I had either. Yeah, I see it on restaurants, menus, uh, used as appetizers and things like that. And it is a growth industry. Uh, Raymond Chung has done very well with, with edamame here in Arkansas. And I, it's not going anywhere. We're we're going to continue it. And, and his his plant and his operation is growing on his side of it. Uh, so it, it's a good product. And it's, it's, it's very easily grown in Arkansas because it's very similar to a regular soybean as far as Temperatures and, and moisture levels and, and things like that, all of that pretty much is the same. The difference is it is a sweeter crop, so you have a little more insects used than you would. And you're selling the bean in the pod, so cosmetics is everything. Okay, that that's interesting because uh, a lot of people uh, don't realize that these crops are even being grown in Arkansas. When they think of Arkansas... They think of rice, they think of soybeans, they think of corn, but these other crops are, are smaller acreage, so a lot of people don't realize we grow them here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're niche. These are niche markets. Uh, there's all sorts of niche markets across the United States, but right now in, in Arkansas, this MLA plant has, has really produced a niche market for us, and there are several producers in the River Valley that are also growing conventional edamame that have been growing it for years. And um, mentioning that, are there other niche crops you're considering maybe for uh, future years? Oh, absolutely. We're always looking at, at other crops right now. We're looking at garbanzo beans, which is a huge oh, wow. market. Uh, we're looking at different lentils. Uh, so, yeah, there's always uh, always a market there for that niche. you just got to find the niche. 
And uh, y'all are right now kind of getting toward the end of your harvest. When, when did harvest start on these crops, and, and where are you now? You know, our harvest started about the middle of August, and it always starts with edamame. Keep in mind that, that it is a soybean, but since you're harvesting green, you cut so many days off of it. So it's only an 85-day crop. Oh. So that but, you know, uh, actually, if you were to let it mature out to a regular soybean, you'd add another 30 or 40 days to that crop. So uh, so that was what we start with. And then in first uh, of September, we started with sweet potatoes, and we finished Sunday with sweet potatoes. Uh, the black eyed peas we cut last week, they are, I think, I think we went 115 days on those. So the only thing we've got left is our organic soybeans, and we're moving on across those. Having a little delays with the weather, you know, getting with some showers. But all in all, it seems to be a good crop. Well, uh, y'all bring uh, uh, quite a few jobs to the Augusta area at your plant, I know, and uh, folks that help with your harvest. Uh, I would think that's pretty important uh, to the local economy over there, and you must be proud of the fact that y'all do that. We are, and and. You know, in these rural Delta communities where we're all struggling to keep a population and to keep tax dollars moving in, in these towns and counties, this is a way to, to bring in revenue. Uh, you know, we have 60 employees, and, uh, you know, through the course of the year, they buy all their groceries, all their utility, you know, toiletries, everything in this county, and that is the arrangement I've got with the county, that these guys come in, they're not going to other places and buying their stuff. I want them to buy everything they need to buy right here, and we hope to generate as much money for this economy as possible. Well, uh, we appreciate what you do, and uh, I think folks are going to enjoy listening to this podcast and learning more about organic crops and what you're doing over there in Augusta, and uh, we appreciate you taking time today to be with us and talk. Well, I appreciate you, Keith. Anytime. Come see us. Finally, mass timber is a wood product used in building construction, and it's increasingly being used in new buildings for the University of Arkansas. Greg Patterson talks to Peter McKeith, the dean of the UA's Faye Jones School of Architecture, about what mass timber is and how it's produced and used here in Arkansas. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas Agriculture, our guest is Peter McKeith, and Peter is the dean of the University of Arkansas's Faye Jones School of Architecture. And, and Peter, welcome. Thanks so much, Greg, and thanks for the invitation. And, and I know our listeners are probably going, architecture, agriculture, what's the connection? So, so what is the connection? Well, uh, it, in my view, and uh, this is shared by many, uh, agriculture and architecture are the first two uh, forms of evidence of civilization and culture altogether. And in my mind, they are intertwined uh, for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years, and it's absolutely relevant that the interests of our school should be directed towards the interests of Arkansas architecture. Well, and, and obviously, as, as our listeners know, um, Timberlands in Arkansas make up a huge part of the um, economic sector for uh, producing income for the state. And you guys up there at the architecture school have got some really exciting projects going on right now. And, and wood products are very important. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And um, here again, just to reinforce what you've just said, it doesn't take much to look at the state uh, and understand that geographically it's 57% covered in forest, uh, and even statistically uh, so much of Arkansas's economy is reliant upon timber and wood products on the health of its forests and the use of its forests. When we're the only school of architecture and design for the state, the entirety of the state, I feel obligated to direct our attention to how we can be of service to the, the state's interests, and in this sense, how can we be of service to the state's uh, forest, timber, and wood products? Uh, and to, for that reason, we've begun to look very uh, systematically at uh, new developments in timber and wood products, and how in many ways the school and the university can be a, a source of innovation and economic development for the state's agriculture and, and generally economy and environment overall. 
So one of those those new wood products, and I use new kind of in a, it's obviously not new, but it may be new to Arkansas, is mass timber. And, and define what that is. Well, mass timber on the one level could be understood as uh, something as simple as plywood, which most people are familiar with, a set of laminates or a set of uh, veneers that are bonded together with adhesive. Uh, we can scale up to glue laminated timber, which many people know we see in columns and beams and has been produced in Arkansas for a while, uh, all the way now to a more contemporary product invented after the Second World War in Germany, uh, uh, one that is called cross laminated timber. And that's where, uh, if you imagine layers of two by sixes uh, uh, aligned with each other in panelized form uh, and then laid at cross orientation to each other in sets of three or five or seven or nine layers. And they're all adhesively bonded. It's, it's a kind of super plywood that can be produced in long panels as, as wide as 10, uh, 12 feet and as long as really a flatbed uh, trailer, so wow. 56 feet or so. Immensely valuable for construction now. How, how were you introduced to, to this? I mean, wh where did you get your inspiration and go, wow, this is a great product to use. A, a couple directions. Uh, one is um, we are a school, as many might know, named in honor of the Arkansas architect Faye Jones, who won the AIA gold medal in 1990 and whose uh, most well-known building is Thorn Crown Chapel up here in Eureka Springs, which is right. made of very simple dimension lumber but in quite innovatively structured. Uh, looking at that was a source of inspiration of what could we do now in contemporary terms working with timber and wood. Uh, more directly, um, I've benefited from a, a Fulbright fellowship, of course, uh, started by Senator William Fulbright so many years ago, right. uh, our, our own senator. Uh, uh, my Fulbright fellowship took me to Finland, which is a nation fundamentally uh, of uh, forests, forest economy, and really is now leading the way in forest innovation. And they've begun to very much focus on new wood products and cross-laminated timber use uh, for their building construction sector. So a number of things brought this into mind. But then again, I look particularly at what Arkansas uh, was and is in terms of a forested state and in terms of what could be added to Arkansas's economy and could benefit Arkansas's environment if we were able to make use of all the surplus timber that the state is producing. And cross-laminated timber lends itself to that kind of direct use, and that's really started the journey for us. Talk about um, some of the projects that are ongoing, either projects that are under construction, have been built, or will be built in the near future that the architecture school is involved with um, that uses this type of product. Uh, thanks. Uh, the first building that was done in the state is uh, here on the uh, Fayetteville campus. It's uh, called the Library Annex Building. Um, it uh, uh, was completed two years ago. Um, uh, it is almost exclusively uh, uh, cross-laminated uh, timber panels as well as glue-laminated timber frame. Uh, it, is, uh, uh, it was proof of concept that this type of construction could occur, could occur at a cost savings to the university and could be done in a, a time efficient way in order to move books into it as it needed to do. Uh, the second building that the university has undertaken is a 200,000 square foot, 700 bed residence hall called Adohi Residence Hall. Adohi is the Cherokee word for, roughly speaking, coming into the forest. Um, that's a building that uh, is another proof of concept uh, coming in on time, on budget, uh, uh, and making use of glue laminated frame as well as cross laminated timber panels in the floors and ceilings. Uh, it's currently the largest such structure in the United States making use of mass timber. Really? The third building on the near horizon is one that's very special to us and really should be special to everyone in the state, and that's called the Anthony Timberlands Center for Design and Materials Innovation. This has uh, really emerged through many discussions with uh, uh, John Ed and Isabel Anthony uh, and, and m many uh, at Anthony Timberlands, 
who see the necessity of working in innovative ways with timber and wood to really grow the economy and really uh, uh, grow the overall forest sector for the state. Uh, this is uh, on the drawing boards now. Um, it's being designed by the, this year's Pritzker Prize winning architects, that is to say the best architects in the world, uh, Grafton Architects of Dublin, Ireland, are partnering with Modus Studio here in Fayetteville, Nabholz Construction of Conway, and that building is scheduled for completion in the fall of 2023. Very exciting project, all of timber and wood, all to be sourced out of Arkansas's forests itself. Wow. Now, now there there's there, there's there's also other ones that are going on go, going on as well that are in the design stage. That's right, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, of course, what we do at the university uh, has value. But the real value of this is when it extends into the private market, uh, the commercial market, uh, into hotels, into office buildings. And in that regard, it's very important to note that as we were working on our, our own path in mass timber, Walmart was also working on its own path towards uh, a mass timber concept for their new headquarters in Bentonville. Uh, this is going to be, uh, of course, an immense commitment by one of the world's most important companies uh, to mass timber, uh, and a true demonstration, of course, of the scalability of this form of construction. Uh, and to do so, uh, again, drawing its mass timber from the Arkansas forests has meant, uh, in fact, the, the bringing into being of a, a CLT, cross-laminated timber uh, fabrication facility, manufacturing plant, uh, in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, this is uh, now uh, being prepared uh, in Conway. A company called Structure Lamb, uh, originating out of Canada, is bringing its manufacturing expertise to central Arkansas, to the whole state, uh, setting up a plant uh, here in the center of the state, not only to provide its first panels, of course, to Walmart, but panels into the future for so many different purposes in the state and regionally and nationally. It, this is truly uh, transforming the Arkansas economy, transforming our environment, building more jobs across the state, and generating a lot of great uh, spotlight for us as well. Well, and another building uh, that I've read about that uh, folks in, in agriculture would be interested in is the Center for Arkansas Farms and Food, which will also be using some of the uh, CLT um, product as well. That, that's correct, and that's a, a, a building also here on, in the Fayetteville campus, uh, working with the uh, uh, Division of Agriculture and the uh, Bumpers College of Agriculture, part of their whole uh, uh, experimental station here. Uh, this has been in part at least strategized in its design by our, our school's community design center. Yes, and it too is intended to make use of uh, not only to benefit Arkansas's agriculture through its own research, but actually to demonstrate that side of Arkansas agriculture, which is forest, timber, and wood products. But this is where, again, architecture and agriculture run so parallel and, and converge upon each other's benefit. And that design, if, if I'm not mistaken, was the winner of the recent 2020 Plan Award. That's correct. Uh, it's... Uh, uh, a real uh, credit to our team at the Community Design Center, led by Professor uh, Stephen Luoni uh, and his staff there. Uh, it, it has uh, begun to win awards. Uh, and in fact, Adohi Residence Hall has won awards. The Library Annex Building has won awards. Uh, and so this is not just about admiring the technology or the material. It's actually the design uh, a sense that uh, can be brought forward through this material and this technology. Now, now tell us, tell the listeners why mass timber, I mean, what's the difference as far as uh, using other traditional products to build buildings like steel and concrete and everything else? So, so what makes this a better choice? This will always be, I think, uh, something for a client's commissioning agents to measure on their own terms. Um, my role as an educator 
is to prepare our students for any number of uh, opportunities, any number of types of projects. Um, I will say I'm uh, quite ecumenical, you could say uh, non-denominational in many ways about the judicious and wise use of materials. Um, there's always a balance between the economies involved, the environmental costs involved, uh, the, the labor costs involved. Uh, mass timber can make sense for a project uh, when it needs to be uh, built uh, uh, in particular uh, in a time efficient way. Um, it can be built very often much more quickly. Uh, it, it can be uh, make sense when uh, you want to be uh, very sensitive to local resources as uh, again here in Arkansas we have. Uh, it can make sense in terms of life cycle analysis, the long-term uh, environmental measurements of, of a building. Um, it is at this point uh, fair to say that these are cost comparative materials altogether. And in that sense, my role is to suggest to our students and to the AEC community at large uh, that at the very least you have another tool in your toolkit, another material uh, to put onto your palette of materials to consider. Uh, and as I say, uh, there, are, there can be real advantages in considering mass timber, um, but there will always be a need, to be honest, for the use of steel fasteners uh, in, the, in this type of construction, the use of right. foundations in this construction. So it's very much a balance, um, but there are real arguments, I think, to uh, think positively about the use of mass timber. Now, another one of your passions is timber research and, and looking at uh, the value of different wood products. So tell us what you're doing within the school itself to to promote this. Well, um, I'm uh, suggesting uh, to our faculty and to our students that there are um, uh, ways in which, uh, we, again, we can be of value to the interests of the state, interests of the nation, uh, interests of the professions. Uh, we're looking at anything from how do we can um, use uh, uh, wood dust or wood powder uh, to uh, and use that in, in uh, 3D printing ways, a very contemporary form of manufacturing. We're looking at doing research with the buildings that uh, have been constructed in terms of uh, moisture sensing and life cycle analysis. Uh, we're looking at um, how we can produce uh, thermally modified uh, timber that is uh, much more uh, durable than, uh, uh, than timber uh, just brought forward uh, uh, straight out of, uh, of the sawmill. Uh, we're looking again at, at laminated timber in, in a variety of structural applications. And all of this is to expand markets uh, and also to expand the use of what is, in fact, the surplus production of the state. So there's another environmental dimension to this as well. You've also put together uh, a great team up there at the Architectural School, and, and, and tell us about your faculty. Well, I, I arrived to the school as dean uh, now uh, six and a half years ago, and I arrived into a school which was already privileged by a strong faculty. It, it, I think it has even uh, uh, improved and gotten better as we've been able to hire a new faculty as the school has grown. Uh, but we're certainly privileged by the presence of uh, Marlon Blackwell, who is uh, this year's AIA gold medalist, now 30 years after Faye Jones received the AIA national recognition. That's uh, impressive. Impressive is uh, to say the least. Uh, this is unique in the United States. Um, uh, Professor Luoni, who I mentioned earlier, who uh, oversees our community design center, he too is a distinguished professor nationally. Uh, John Folan is our head of the Department of Architecture, who is uh, an educator and uh, supreme in his commitment to community engagement uh, and uh, design build. Uh, we have uh, new, I'll call it, say, younger faculty, newly arrived faculty who are winning awards. Uh, uh, Frank Jacobus uh, and his partner have been uh, in the, uh, awarded Emerging Voices uh, uh, recognition nationally. And just recently, uh, two of our more new appointed uh, faculty, Jessica Colangelo and Charles Sharpless, have uh, received an AIA uh, award for a small project they did uh, here uh, out of uh, cross-laminated timber panels, uh, a small installation called Salvage Swings, which was first displayed in Roosevelt Island in New York and is now actually uh, permanently installed up at the Amazium in Bentonville. 
So you're right. It's a great faculty. It's a great privilege to work with them, and they certainly push me to be uh, 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 to be the best dean I can. I'm very grateful for their uh, co uh, co collegiality. Well, it sounds like you've got an outstanding faculty. You're right, Greg. And, and as I said, I'm privileged uh, each day. Um, but we're privileged by working within a, a very supportive university. Uh, we're privileged to work now increasingly uh, with uh, Governor Hutchinson and his staff, uh, with Congressman Westerman, for instance, uh, in this particular regard. Uh, and then again, with so many uh, people, including the Anthony family, uh, the Whipple family out of Arkadelphia, uh, right. uh, and so many others who are committed to the agricultural success of the state. Well, he's Dean Peter McKeith with the University of Arkansas's Faye Jones School of Architecture. And Peter, thank you so much for taking time with us today to be on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Thank you, and uh, everyone is welcome to the Faye Jones School at any time. That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with the latest news, interviews, and updates on Arkansas's largest industry.